Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, hello and welcome to week five. This is actually our 10th sermon for this series. We're doing a 12 sermon series through the book of Ephesians. And I'm trusting God that he has worked in your heart and really just broken up some things for you um, in the Bible. And if this is one of the first ones that you're watching, I want to just encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and you can check out all of the sermons uh, that we are doing through this book uh, so that you can just dig in and hear what God is busy saying. Now, what we found in this book, one of the biggest themes and the way that this book is set up, especially from chapters one to three and then chapters four to, uh, to six, is the way that the author wrote this book is that at first he comes and reminds us of our identity. There's this, this implication on your life um, because of the work of Jesus, because of the work that Jesus did on this planet and in his death and in his resurrection, uh, that has a certain implication for you. It gives you a new identity. And so Paul starts off writing this letter and uh, explains to us, reminds us of, of who we are now, this new identity that we have. And then he goes on and there's this word that gets um, repeated quite a lot, uh, which is the word therefore. And so this is constantly Paul telling us about the implication because of Christ. And then he moves on to the application. Because of what has happened to us, because of the repositioning in Christ that has happened to us, there is now an application, a way to work this out in our lives. This, some theologians refer to working out your salvation. That's what a verse that Paul also writes. And so it's this application, the implication in Christ Jesus or the identity and then the activity that we are called to as Christians. Now, this formula continues, even in this passage that we're busy reading from verse 7, it says, therefore, um, and it's uh, this, this implication and the application or the identity and the activity, uh, this formula continues. And this is so important because in Dr. Day, we love to, to repeat this over and over, is that identity precedes activity. Understanding and knowing your identity in Christ has to come first. And then only we can start speaking about what God has called you to do in this life. You see, if you preach or understand a gospel or a message where activity is the focus, where it's all about what you should do and should not do, if your way of reading the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts, you are focusing on the activity first, and that will lead to a works gospel. And that actually dilutes the gospel because it takes away from the grace of God because it becomes about what you do. But on the other hand, if you only focus on this, you know, the implication in Christ Jesus, but you never move over to how to work out the salvation, how to, what, what is the application of this? How, how, what is the activity that flows from this newfound identity? If you only stay here, it also dilutes the gospel because then we become a bunch of Christians that are very useless because we understand who we are in God but it has no effect on the way that we live now the book of Ephesians the second part gets extremely practical and it's explaining to us um, what the activity is that flows from this understanding of this identity and so we can never disconnect these two in Dr. Day we love saying these three things as a disciple we need to grow in knowing God secondly we need to grow in loving people 
And thirdly, we need to grow in impacting our world. Now, the formula or the, the, the order is extremely important. It has to start by knowing God first. It's only once we know God that we get to know who we are in Christ. And then as a result, it goes to the activity or the application, which is loving people in a practical way in my life and also impacting my world, living out the calling that God has uh, on my life. Now, verse 8, it continues and Paul says, For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Now it's very important to note here is that Paul says you were darkness. So this is past tense. Remember your tenses from school, from your English high school teacher? Past tenses are important, right? And for the Bible, it is extremely important. Whenever we read the New Testament, you have to ask the question about tenses. And so he says you were darkness, past tense. He's not referring about now. So he's speaking to a bunch of Christians, the Christians in Ephesus, right? You were darkness, but now. And so the emphasis here is actually not so much on what you were, but Paul is busy expounding on what you are now. You were darkness, but now, present tense, where we are now, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are light in the Lord. It's quite fascinating. That, and, and he could have said that you had darkness in you, but now you have light in you. Uh, Paul's not saying that, you know, you, ha you were kind of bad, but now you're kind of good. There's some good things that God has given you. No, he's saying you are light in the Lord. He's going one step further in terms of the identity, the, the, the change that has happened in your life. It's not you are kind of better now. It's not a bit of behavior modification. He's speaking about a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creation. We are a new creation if we are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. It's not I was kind of bad, but now I'm kind of good in Christ. He makes me a little bit better. No, no, there's a shift in identity. I am light if I am in the Lord. Now, I think the problem for most Christians is when we read that verse, it's very easy for us to believe that we are darkness. And it's important that, you know, that for me to understand also that it's not only that I had a little bit of darkness in me, I was darkness. You know, if I think about the times, um, maybe just even in high school, I was not only the kid that was influenced by the bad friends, I was the bad friend that influenced the other good guys. And all of us have got certain stories. And you think about your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets. You know, we were lost in our darkness. We were so lost, we, we didn't even know it. But for Christians, this is easy to believe. It's not very difficult to tell a person that you were darkness. The problem, however, is that we get stuck in the past tense. I think for many Christians, I hear it so often that a Christian would say something and they think it's a very noble thing to say, right? Say, well, I'm, I'm just a sinner in the hands of a merciful God. I'm just a sinner. Rubbish. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're no longer a sinner. Your identity has changed. You are, I am the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible says. But we think it's noble or humble to say, I'm just a sinner. You know, it's sort of like saying, I'm just a worm before God. And I'm worth nothing. It's, it's like the attitude we have before God is the same attitude that my dog has before me. Okay, I'm not a very good dog owner. I, I do love him or her. It's actually her. I know that. Uh, I do love her and I feed her. And I, uh, but, you know, sometimes she doesn't know if, I'm, if she's coming or going. Because the one moment I'm very loving and the next moment I'm shouting at 
my poor dog. And so sometimes my dog doesn't have a lot of liberty in front of me. Um, but I think many, for, for many of us as Christians, we walk like that before God. It's like, you know, we think now and then he'll be nice to us, but we, we must just, you know, be careful because he might smack us or smite us. It's sort of like we, we walk around before God. It's like, oh God, I, I'm, I'm just a little worm before a merciful God. I'm, I'm, I'm just a sinner, right? And we think that is, is humility. And Paul says, you were darkness, but now, what are you now? You are no longer a worm or darkness. You are no longer, you know, stuck in the past, no longer a sinner. You are light if you are in God. You see, the problem is we start the gospel so often with Genesis 3, with the fall of man. And we stay there and say, but, but you know, hopefully Jesus, he'll give us a ticket to heaven. The, the, the full gospel starts in Genesis 1, where it tells us that when God made you, he looked at you and he says, it is good. It is good. All of creation, God created it. And he says, it is good. When he comes to mankind, he actually says, it is very good. God looks at, you, looks at you when he created you, he says, you are very good. But because of our, you know, rebellion, we turned our backs on God. We chose darkness and not light. We were lost in our darkness. And so we were created totally good. But then we were totally lost, right? We were darkness. But the full gospel goes on to say that the work of Jesus means that we are totally redeemed now. That we are totally restored from head to toe. I am righteous before God because of the work that Jesus has done. You see, if you are a Christian and you still live like a worm before God and say, I'm just a sinner in the hands of a merciful God. You know, if that is your picture, it means you've got a very, very low view of the work of Jesus. Because you're saying that the work that Jesus did was, was effective to, to some point, but it wasn't so effective to really change my identity that I can stand up straight and approach the throne room of heaven with boldness now. See, if you believe in the work of Christ, that it was a finished work, that on the cross when he uttered the word, it is finished, then it means you can not focus on what you were. I, would, I was darkness. But you can start living in the reality that you are now light. That is what this passage is actually starting off with. You see, identity precedes activity. This is so important. You see, if you view yourself as still darkness, if you view yourself as a worm, chances are you're going to live like a worm. If you view yourself as darkness, you're going to live in darkness. But if you understand that you are now light because you are in Christ, chances are you're going to live in the light. And you're going to allow the light to start shining. What you believe will determine the way that you live. Then it goes on in verse 8. Walk as children of, of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And he mentions these three things. And if you think about it, is that whenever there is the light of God then there's usually goodness and there's rightness or justice and there's also truth. You see, let me just quickly speak about darkness for a moment. 
is when we say that you know we were dark, uh, and if we look at at the world today, uh, think of someone that's maybe without God, you wouldn't necessarily just say, well, this person is just darkness, because we associate the word darkness with like being evil, um, and sort of like you know that person is doing magic, or they are I don't know, they watching the Harry Potter films, and that makes them very evil or something like that. But I think the way that darkness works on this planet. Sometimes just when we don't have the light, when we don't have God in us. And today, in our world, we are living in a world that is ruled by humanism. We've got this worldview that is a humanistic worldview, which basically means is that the individual, the person, the human, is at the center of the universe. And we want everything to orbit around me. It's a very individualistic culture that we are living in. And selfish culture, a self-centered culture. It's usually the result of, of humanism, where I want everything to be good for me. So speaking about these three terms, good and right and true, that the Bible is speaking about, is that I want everything to be good for me. Something is only right when it is right for me. And something is only true if I believe that it is true. And so we become the ones that determines what is good and what is right and what is true. It's, it's sort of like, and, and when light comes, actually, when, when uh, the reality of God comes into this place, uh, true goodness and true rightness or justice and true truth, <laughs> true truth, just truth, comes into place when God enters the room. It's, it's sort of like thinking about the planets, right? Uh, our solar system that we are living in, the planets are basically orbiting around the sun. And I don't know if you know this, but the, the sun is the biggest planet. And the, the way that gravitational pull uh, actually works is because of the heaviness of the sun. Because the sun is the, 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 the biggest one and the heaviest one, the others have got this gravitational pull and they are orbiting around the sun, as they should. And the same with our lives with God. You see, God is the heavy one. There's this, uh, you know, we've been speaking quite a bit about this, uh, about the glory of God or the doxa of day or the glory of God. That word glory actually means weight. God is the weighty one. He has the glory and he deserves that everything should orbit around him because he is the heavy one. He is the one with all of the glory and everything should orbit around him. And whenever everything is orbiting around God, we find goodness, real goodness. We find truth. And we find justice. The problem is we are like the astronauts in space and we want the planets to orbit around us. And whenever we want things to orbit around us, the, the result is chaos, absolute chaos. Why? Because you are not heavy enough. You don't have enough glory so that other things and other people should orbit around you. God is the only one that deserves that. And so in a way, our darkness is, is sort of, another way to put it is that, that our darkness is that we suck. We suck, right? We want to suck the life out of everything and consume it for ourselves.
it should be all about me, what I get out of it. In our relationship sometimes, it becomes, you know, the, the darkness of humanity becomes that it should be all about me. So I want to suck out everything I can get out of this relationship. When I'm done, done with it, I'm going to go to the next one. It's the reason why wars are started, because two nations want to suck resources from one another. And, and we try and get things to be about us. Um, truth becomes very warped when it's going to be all about me. And so we're living in this world where relativism is also influencing our world where you can't say this is right or wrong because someone will tell you, well, that is right or wrong for you, but not necessarily for me. And so people are claiming that there's no such thing as an objective truth. The truth is just relative. Depends on whose truth it is, right? Which is also a very strange statement because if you say that there is no such thing as an absolute truth, that it's all just relative. When you make that statement, you are making an absolute claim of truth. Because you're saying that there is no such thing as truth, except for this one statement, that there is no such thing as truth. And so it becomes very confusing when we try and make things like truth or goodness revolve around us. You see, people delight when there is true justice. When truth prevails, when there is true goodness, there is, people celebrate because of that. And that only happens, and this is the claim of Christianity, is that everything was created for the Son of God, and that everything should orbit around Him. And when our lives and our society, when the structures even of our city, when everything that surrounds us starts orbiting around Christ and around God, everything falls into place. And then we will see goodness, we will see truth, and we will see justice. And this is the question for you and me also. Is, uh, is my life busy orbiting around God? Is my definition of truth orbiting around God? Is my definition of good not what's good for me, but what is good for God? Is it orbiting around God? And not what is right and wrong for me, but what is right according to God. Now, then the chapter goes on and Paul gives us a little bit of detail. We've read the scripture together and basically what he's busy telling us is how we should live. And he's basically just saying, become who you are. That's the way you work it out. It's become who you are. It reminds us of who we are. And then he gives us some practical advice and you can go study that on your own, uh, in your own time. He says, become who you are. Now, this passage of Scripture reminds me of another passage that Jesus taught in Matthew when he spoke about salt and light. And, and so the question we, we're probably asking is, you know, how do I apply this? So, so I know that I am light in Christ now and that I should allow my life to orbit around God and around Christ and that I should actually be working that other things in my life is also orbiting around Christ. But practically, what does it look like? And Jesus gives us this wonderful teaching about, about salt and light in Matthew chapter 5 from verses uh, well, 13 to 16. But I want to read it to you in the message translation. This is so good. This is so good. Listen to this. Jesus saying, and this is or this paraphrase of what Jesus was busy saying in the message translation. It says, let me tell you why you are here. Have you ever wondered why you are here on planet Earth? I mean, I've asked the question, if Jesus saved me and, uh, you know, I can go to heaven or be with God you know, permanently now, like or in his full glory. Why doesn't he, why doesn't he take me there right now? Like, why am I still, you know, here? <laughs> 
What am I here for? It's a question that all of us ask. Why are we here? He says, let me tell you why you are here. As a Christian, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Some years ago, I, made, I started making curry. I'm, I'm, I can actually make a very, very nice curry. Um, you can ask my wife. It's one of my talents. But the first time I made it, uh, I did everything the recipe told me to do, but it still just didn't, didn't taste like anything. It was still burning like curry, but it didn't have the nice taste of curry. It had the, you know, the sort of bad part of curry, but not the good part of curry, if you know what I mean. And then my wife came, she tasted it, and she says, it just needs salt. We throw in some salt and boom, it just tastes so different. When the salt mixes, it brings out the flavors because salt is not really a flavor by itself. Salt only brings out the flavors of the other spices around it and it tastes differently. Jesus is saying you are to be salt. You are to be mixed into this world. And as you are mixed into this world, you will bring out the God flavors, the, the flavors of goodness, of rightness and justice and of truth. You will bring out those flavors in this world. And, and then, then it goes, goes on with some negative communication. communication. If you, you lose, lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Now, this is not a, a, a threat that Jesus is busy saying. He's not speaking about your salvation. He's just saying you're going to be useless. You know, if you're going to be salt by yourself but never be mixed into this world, how are other people going to taste God in this world? And if that is the case, if you are salt that is orbiting around itself, you are not used and consumed for this world around you. You live for yourself, a self-consumed life orbiting around yourself. You're going to end up in the garbage. He's speaking about your quality of life will be like being in the garbage. You're not going to be part of a great meal that God is busy, you know, cooking together. And so therefore, give yourself, mix into this world so that God can bring out these God flavors. Verse 14 to 16 goes on. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a, of, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. This is how it explains how do you how do you shine your light? Because hey, I know that I'm light, that's wonderful, but how do I shine this light? How do I bring this to the world? It says, keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So making it real practical, be like salt. Get mixed into this world. Give yourself away to the world around you. Just be like light. Don't be hidden under a bucket. No, go public with this. Bring this light into this world. It says, live an open life. Live a generous life. It means, if you live a generous life, it means you don't live toward yourself. You don't suck, right? You don't suck. You don't suck everything to yourself and try and get the whole solar system to revolve around you. No, no, no. You orbit around God. You live away from yourself. You don't suck. You give. That's what light does. Light comes and it brings truth. 
and goodness and rightness into a space. You give of yourself. You live away from yourself. You mix yourself into this planet. Now, what does this mean for me and you? Just to quickly finish off some of the last verses. Verse 15. Just thinking about, you know, practically, where do I take this in my life now also? Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And I'm going to quickly speak about the difference between an unwise person or a foolish person and a wise person. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom is to understand what the will of the Lord is. The New Living Translation puts this verse 17 like this. Don't act act thoughtlessly. So he's speaking about, you know what the definition of, of foolishness is or to be unwise is don't act thoughtlessly. Don't not think about things, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. The message translation says don't live carelessly or unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. So basically, the difference between a foolish person and a wise person is the wise person thinks about what they do, right? The foolish person just does it. And so just thinking about your life, let me ask you this question. Are you allowing life to just happen to you? You're not thinking about it, ordering your life in any way. Life is just happening to you. You are just a passenger in life. Or are you thinking about life? Are you happening to life? Because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom thinks about what you do. Foolishness, you don't think, you just do. So you just go to work. You never really think about your work. When you relax, you just do whatever is fun for you, but not really thinking about what the purpose of rest should be in your life. Your relationships, well, you just got some friends, but you're not really intentional in any way. Thinking about your time. Are you just, you know, the days are just running out, but you are never deliberate about your schedule, about your calendar, about your finances. Is it just going to wherever the needs are? Or are you deliberate about your finances? You see, a wise person thinks about those things. You think about your work. You think about the opportunity at your work. You apply yourself at your place of work. When it comes to relationships, you see them as meaningful. When it comes to time, you make the most of the opportunity. You allow your time, your calendar, to orbit around God. That's what a wise person does. Your budget, you allow your budget to orbit around God. You think about it. You're not unthinkingly, but you plan. Maybe just, you, let me use one example, and then I'll finish off. One example would be, for instance, with the way that we have fun, or the way that we rest, Right? Sometimes we just, you know, you watch some Netflix and uh, not saying there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes it's good to do that. If that helps you to recover, do that. But you know the English word for, for you know, resting or doing your, your hobbies or the fun things? It's recreation. Recreation means re-creation. It means you recreate in yourself. So my question to you is, if you think about your own hobbies, the way that you rest, are you deliberate in that time that it is helping you to create once again in yourself? When you are depleted and you need rest, are you doing the right activities that you are recreated? Or are you just binge-watching something and then afterwards you still feel tired? Are you foolish about your time or are you wise in everything you do? 
Paul makes it very practical. He says, make the most of the time that you have in this world. Now, just to respond, this middle passage, it's a, it's a hymn that Paul is referring to. It's not a di direct quote from Scripture. It's part of Scripture, but it's a, it's a hymn that was probably sung um, in these early churches. In verse 14, it says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and then he quotes this hymn, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, the question that you need to answer is, Is my life orbiting around Christ? Because that's what it means to be awake. It's to be woken up by God. To bring to life. You are a new creation. And then life does not orbit around you anymore. But your life orbits around God. That's what salvation is. But maybe if you've been serving God for a long time. This is maybe just a bit of a wake up call for you. You know maybe it's not that you're not dead. You're just sleeping a little bit. You've fallen asleep on the job. And I'm trusting God that just with this word. It would be sort of like a wake-up call to say the time that you have is limited. Make the best use of your time. And the best way that you can make use of your time in this world is to make it orbit around the heavy one. The one with all the glory. God Himself and the Son of God. May, may that be true in your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.